0: I'm Alison Southwick, and I'm joined as always by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at the Motley Fool.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: This week is our second in the series, right?
1: I think so, yes.
0: Ah, and when we're tackling major life events like a financial pro. And this week, we're doing it with the help of Dan Maseka. We're going to cover the financial decisions and steps you need to take when a baby comes into your life. Aww, kids. All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers.
1: So, bro, what's up? Well, Allison, likely these days you've probably seen all kinds of stories about how we've reached the 10-year anniversary of the start of the current bull market, which means basically the end of the market dive that happened during the Great Recession. market bottomed at the beginning of March of 2009, reached 10 years. It's been a fabulous time to be a stock investor. The S&P 500 has averaged around 17% a year. Fantastic. Unfortunately, it's not here. Been a comes great
0: the time. awfulizer. Here he is. <laughs> it's not. This isn't awful.
1: I'm just saying. Unfortunately, over the last okay, decade, it okay. hasn't been such a great time to be a cash investor. Okay. Right. Because they drastically lowered interest rates to uh, as a remedy to the Great Recession. So back in March of 2009, looking at the one-month Treasury, which is kind of a proxy for cash, it was paying 0.1 percent. Now, since then, starting in 2015, the Fed started raising interest rates. There were four hikes last year. So, as, now, as of now, you can get 2.5% on a one-month treasury. So, I bring this up for two reasons. Number one, the Fed is likely to pause at this point. As of even toward the end of last year, the Fed was suggesting that there were going to be two hikes this year. A lot of that has changed. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Chairman Jerome Powell, chairman of the Fed, told Congress that at this point they're going to take a watch and wait and see approach to rates, partially because of what happened in the stock market toward the end of the year, but also because growth around the globe is slowing, particularly in Europe and China. And inflation has been really low. So the when you talk about inflation, most people think of the consumer price index. What the Fed pays attention to is something else. It's called the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index. They look at the core, which takes out food and energy. Most recent reading is 1.9% down from about 2.5% as of somewhere in the middle of last year. So inflation is actually going down. So at this point, if you look at what the market is predicting about interest rates from the Fed, there's a greater chance that actually rates are going to get cut again this year than they're actually going to be Hmm. raised. Most people expect that they're just going to stay the same. So what does that mean? That means right now you actually can get some decent rates from things like treasuries, short-term treasuries, one-year CDs, two-year CDs, three-year CDs. People have been putting off locking their money up that way because they figure rates are going to keep going up. Now might be a time to consider grabbing some of those rates while they're still at this level. So, which brings me to my second point, and that is, most people are not doing it. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of cash in this country is still sitting in checking accounts, savings accounts, sweep accounts, and I'll describe what those are in a second. That are paying 0.1, 0.2, 0.3 percent, where you could be earning much more. In fact, banks and brokerages are making millions off of people who are sitting there in low-yielding cash. And Jason Zweig at the Wall Street Journal has covered this a couple of times over the ca- over the past year. So, in August, uh, Jason wrote this article where he pointed out that what banks have been doing, or brokerages have been doing, right? Like, let's say you sell a stock, right? And you have that cash in your account. Often they'll put that in a money market fund, which these days are yielding two and two and a half. What a lot of them have been doing is clo- taking the money out of those funds and putting it in a sweep account, which is more like a bank account. But they don't often hold it. Instead, they farm it out to another bank. The bank pays the brokerage, one and a half two percent 2%, but you're only getting that 0.1% or 02 or 0.3%. They're pocketing hmm. the difference. This is how some of these online brokerages or um, app-based brokerages that offer free trades, this is part of how they make money. Right. It's because that cash sits in that your account earning nothing, but they're able to earn a little bit of money on it. So, bottom line here is, don't let them do it. There are many ways to earn 2 2.5% on your cash. A couple of places to look, of course, The Ascent, which is a Motley Fool company where you can get various ideas for where you can get good yields on savings accounts, checking accounts, money market accounts, also reviews on credit cards and mortgages. A couple other places to look is just your local credit union. There are actually many credit unions that will pay you up to 5% on Ooh. your checking, up to a certain amount, oh. like up to your first 2000 or $2,500. Yeah. Um, but so you want to look at what's in your area. And for your brokerage account, probably the best bet is a money market fund, which is different than a money market account. A money market account is offered by a bank, FDIC insured, very safe. Money market fund is a mutual fund of short-term treasuries and short-term debt still historically very safe but not guaranteed so you're taking a little bit more risk. But if you go to cranedata.com, they, every day they will list the top five yielding money market funds, For taxable accounts, then top five tax free, and top five for institutions. These days, the best rates are coming from Vanguard and Fidelity and those folks, and you can get two and a half percent. Not a whole lot of money, but it's still better than nothing. And if you have a lot of cash sitting around in your emergency fund or whatever, why not make that extra one, two, three hundred dollars?
2: There goes my life. There
1: goes my everything.
0: I love you, baby, goodbye. Woo! Baby-making. It is expensive. Bro, (laughs) how much does it cost to raise a kid?
1: Well, fortunately, the government agency that calculates that, which is the U.S. Department of Agriculture, (laughs) provides a very helpful calculator where you enter in some information about your income, whether you're married or not, how many kids you have, where you live, all that will estimate for you how much it costs to raise a kid. But on average, to raise a kid up until age 18, so not even including college, it costs between $250,000 and $300,000.
0: alright I have put my data into the calculator here.
2: So you have, you have the one kid.
0: One kid. She's age of first child. She's five. All right. Calculate. Please calculate.
2: It's weird because it, it seems like having a kid is free. They really they rope you in on that, don't they?
3: My grandmother kept telling me day after day that having a child is, is free to cheap. I think she had an endgame insight.
0: Yes, she did. Yes, she did. <laughs> Alright, so my child is going to cost me uh, 27000 a year. Hmm. That's a lot of money!
3: It
1: is a lot of money. That's a a lot of lifestyle. Just
0: one, huh? That's just Just one. (laughs) one. Oi. Well, joining us today to help us tackle how you can um, deal with that. Bill, <laughs> for having your kid uh, in the most fiscally responsible way possible, responsive, responsible way possible, is Dan Maseka. He's a financial planner with Motley Fool Wealth Management. Dan, thank you for joining us today.
2: You're welcome. A sister company of the Motley Fool. Thank
0: you, Rick. You have been on the show before to help us with some mailbag episodes, but this week you are back to help us tackle all the financial decisions and things you need to think about when you have a baby.
3: Yeah, that's right. Everything. And
0: you are doing this not only from the perspective of someone who has uh, helped in the process of having a baby, but also as a financial planner.
3: Right. That was an interesting way to frame it, helped in the process of having a baby.
1: In other words, he's a new dad. That's what we're trying to say <laughs> you're, a, you're
0: a new dad, and I think it's fair to say that uh, your wife did most of the heavy lifting when it comes to actually having the baby. Yes. Yes. Very true. So, that's why I just want to give ladies their due. because <laughs> so eight
1: months old, right?
3: Yeah, eight months. Congratulations. Thank you very much.
0: Yep, congrats. And so, yes, you are a new father, so you're going through a lot of this yourself personally, right. but as a financial planner, you've also helped a lot of people navigate having a baby and beyond. I mean, cuz boy. It's
1: you. just the Dang. beginning, buddy.
0: Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, so let's get into it. So, um first we're going to talk about one of the fun side effects of having a kid, and that is that your own life suddenly goes up in value. You're suddenly a more important person because right. you've had a baby. <laughs> to someone. To someone, yeah. Not, that's it, so-
3: not to everyone, just no, to someone. Just to
0: someone. <laughs> so let's talk about how uh, you need to value your life a little bit more.
3: Sure. Well, I think the first thing that we did, uh, which is easier fr- from the perspective of a, of a financial planner, because we do it every day, but is to talk a little bit about your own death. Mm, so fun. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah
1: So, the, the arrival of a new life makes you think about your own death.
3: Right. It's something to measure <laughs> how close that's coming by. Uh, so, the first thing we did was talk about what happens when we're not around anymore. And to do that, you really start looking at estate planning, uh, life insurance, and uh, just generally talking about what would happen if, if we were to be gone. Um, so, you know, from a formality perspective, finding an attorney who can work with you to draft up some estate plans, wills if you don't have them, um, updating beneficiaries on accounts. Uh, But the one thing that... at accounts. On uh, IRAs, if you have life insurance already, you want to look at that. If you don't have it, you'll want to apply for it, uh, because that can take some time, and uh, making sure you get the right amount in place. Uh, But from a different perspective, I think one thing that I did not think a whole lot about is in the process of updating wills and getting trusts in place, thinking about more than who's going to be the guardian to your children. But the guardian and the person who makes the financial decisions can be separate people. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that was sprung on us in the middle of a conversation. And I think fortunately we had people in mind to fill all those, all those rules. Uh, but that's something probably worth talking about before you just march into an attorney's office and start putting things to paper.
1: Yeah, because the, the people who may be good surrogate parents to your kids may not be the best at handling money. Those are two separate Skill sets. So,
0: what are different ways that you structure that? Because if someone is looking after the kid, then they obviously need money to take care of the kid. So, how does that relationship then work?
3: So, you want people who can work well together, um, because they will have a relationship in in kind of managing those decisions. Uh, but the way it was framed to us, and I think makes a lot of sense, is just to have an outside perspective to make sure that those funds are being put to the right use and the use that you would want it to be, um, rather than just having someone who you know might not be so good with money themselves or might not be able to prioritize in the same way that you want um so we had you know a couple of our cousins uh who filled those roles for us and felt like um they would be nice counterbalances to each other uh, but that would have never even crossed my mind honestly
0: so you you do have it set up so that yeah that one cousin is managing the money and one cousin is keeping taking care of the kid mhm oh really yep and they're cool with that
3: yeah They signed up for it. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. Hopefully it never comes to that, of course.
0: So all right, so update your will and estate plan, thinking about the guardians, but not only that, but also who's gonna handle the money. Let's talk a little bit more (laughs) about purchasing life insurance because uh, for us personally it got weird. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't like the guy that we went to go talk to about it. He wanted us to purchase a ton of life insurance that I didn't feel was necessary, but maybe why not go err on the side of tons of money?
3: Yes. So, the question of who you see is a good one because that can take a lot of different forms. But, you know, a life insurance salesman is going to make money when you buy life insurance, and it's going to his pay is going to depend on how much you buy. But I think when you are seeking out a policy, you know that already. You know, they've got to make money and you need a service. So, it's a good fit. Um, as far as what type and how much, uh, The way to frame it is, if something were to happen to you, what would be lost and what would need to be replaced? So if if I were gone, my wife would still need to raise the children, pay for all the things that are happening. Her ability to work may be impacted. So if she's going to have to stay home longer, how do we replace that income? Uh, Or if she won't be able to stay home, how can she afford the additional care that's needed? Uh, So there's a lot of formulas that are in place that might help you get there. But I actually think it's more of a personal review than kind of just fitting into some formula.
1: And do you, do you generally go with the by term life insurance school?
3: Yeah, if, if we're looking at covering the need of a child, then I do go by that method. So, you know, you want to make sure you have enough money to get your kid to maybe not like total self-dependence, but close to it. So getting them out of school, out of college perhaps... Uh, which might be, you know, 20 years is a good time frame, or if you're a great saver maybe you can do less.
1: Yeah, we did 20 years once our kids were born.
0: 20 years of what though? Of
1: term life insurance.
0: 20 years of term so you would get so it would pay out for 20 years? You would and how pay much this, would it pay? You would pay right? See, I don't know the basics of life insurance. Help me. That's
1: a great question, That's a good question. So you pay the same premium every year for 20 years? And you maintain that same coverage unless you change anything. So
0: you, are, so you will be paying for that for the next 20 years, and then by the time you are 60-70 something, I don't know, then you stop paying life insurance, because at that point you're not making any money anyway, so it's not like you're replacing any lost income. Is that the thinking?
1: Right. My thinking was, along the lines of what Dan said, and that is, I just want to have enough so that if something happens to me before my kids But basically, around the time they're in college, if something happens to me after that, they're going to probably be okay. I just want to make sure my wife has money if something happens to me before then.
0: So, but do you add that? Do you get that? Get to that number based on your income, or do you get to that number based on your expenses?
1: Well, so so there—that's a good question because there are lots of fancy. I'm full of good questions today. You're just full of it. Uh, So yes. (laughs) so, I'll just give my answer. Sure. So, there are lots of uh, tools on the internet that will allow you to do that. I'm sure Dan uses some financial planning software that is more sophisticated right. that could help you arrive at that. There's also a classic rule of thumb of 10 times your salary, which I think is actually a pretty good starting point. Um, am I about right on that? Yeah,
3: 10 times salary is the easiest one. And I'm all for the path of least resistance when it goes to making financial decisions. So, if you didn't want to go calculate everything item by item, if you're at 10 times salary, you're probably in a good spot and uh, you know, it gives you 10 years of buffer to figure out what you have to do after that if everything else goes to I heard Sean curse on this show. Is that is that on the table? <laughs> did, we, did we beep it? You did. It was my favorite moment was on the it? podcast. <laughs> yeah, so. I don't know
0: that Sean made a lot of friends with our episode when he was on. He came he came strong to the hoop.
3: He made yes. one friend because I liked hearing the the edit.
1: Yeah <laughs> uh, So yeah, there are a couple of other important things to know about social security or not about life insurance is, first of all, it's tax-free, so that's good to know. You're getting all that money. And also your, the survivors will still get some social security as well. So if you were to pass away, you don't have to rely just on life insurance. Um, but the, the, the term insurance, especially for a new parents, let's say assume you're around 30 years old, right? If you're healthy, you want a $500,000 policy. It's only going to cost you 2 to $300 a year. And I would say $500,000 is probably not enough for most people and it, you shouldn't really skimp on it. To move that up to a $1,000,000 would cost you less than $200 a year. You might as well. It's a good investment because the difference between having a life insurance policy of $500,000 versus a million when someone dies, that could make a world of difference. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So then, uh, and the last thing was updating your beneficiaries, as we've talked about on the show before. Like, no matter what you have in your will, still gets trumped by what who you have on your benefic- as your beneficiaries on different accounts. Can Correct. happen.
1: Yeah, it, it, the laws vary from state to state, but it is definitely, if, at the very least, it causes problems if your life insurance policy or your four hundred and one k or IRA says it's going to this person, but your will says no, it goes to this person.
0: Yeah. All right, let's move on and talk more about work stuff that you got to deal with.
3: Sure. So, I think to start off, uh, to transition from life insurance into work benefits, most people do get some life insurance through work. So, it's good to check and see what you may already have in place before you're going off shopping. Um, and then you can often choose to buy up insurance through your work plan in lieu of going out and finding an insurance salesman and buying it on your own.
0: That's what we ended up actually doing, was just doing it through the Fool.
3: Yeah, and depending on the situation, it
1: may be more expensive or may not. But what is really appealing is if you have health issues and you're going out on your own to get a policy, could be very expensive, where you, it might be easier or less expensive if you do it as part of a group plan.
3: Right, and I found the op- the reverse scenario to be true, where if you're healthy and young, it's usually cheaper to go off on your own and separate yourself from a big group uh, to benefit from your own age and health. Uh, so that's number one. The other thing is health insurance. So don't forget to add your your newborn to your plan, because they cost a lot of money. Because you're going to need it, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so actually, in the first month after the baby was born, I, I got a bill from our insurance provider for like $19,000. Mm. And I thought I screwed that up. I was like, oh man, did I forget to do something that our HR person told me to do months and months ago. Turns out that wasn't the case. There's like a coordination of benefits thing that they call for every year to make sure I don't have other insurance, uh, so they still pay out and I guess they never got me and we're like, okay, let's just bill him for the whole thing mm-hmm. and see if he pays. Oh, <laughs> That's great. what happens. That's but, um, awesome. Maybe we'll get a check. <laughs> but yeah, so you'll want to log, uh, log into your account or call your service provider and just make sure that you add your dependent as soon as you can um, so that they're covered for all their hospital visits too.
0: We had um, this nightmare scenario that was suggested to us. Where during the the baby classes, right, you got to go to the hospital and you learn to like breathe through the pain and whatever. And so the the woman, you know, had opened it up to the class for questions, and someone raised their hands, and he didn't have a question, but he wanted to point out that. Um, When you go to the hospital to give a baby, the hospital may be within your network, but the anesthesiologist, for example, may not, and so you may get your hospital bill taken care of, but you're going to get drilled by the anesthesiologist for tens of thousands of dollars if you um, don't, if they're not in your network or in your coverage. And so that's just a terrifying little tidbit that I like to share (laughs) with people to think about. Unfortunately, there's not a whole lot you can do. Like it's not like you can necessarily. Schedule your birth. I mean, I guess you can with a C-section, but you kind of get stuck with whatever anesthesiologist right. is on call. But just something to think about is that there's a number of fun ways where you can uh, get a big bill. Yeah, honey, we're really- doing
3: home delivery natural birth
0: because <laughs> <laughs> I am in yeah. in coverage. My right. bills are very cheap, and yeah, the house is in network. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so we covered uh, health insurance. All right. How about flexible spending?
3: Yeah. So. Uh- one thing that you may want to plan ahead for, and I think you know, as years go on and you have more experience with your child, you'll know exactly how to use this to the best of its ability, uh, but you can actually defer dollars into a flex- flexible spending plan for dependent care. Uh, and the benefit of that is you get to defer dollars pre-tax, so your dollar goes a longer way. And whenever you have an eligible expense for, for child care, um, you can reimburse yourself through that plan. And I believe you can do up to five thousand dollars every year. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing, though, is it's use it or lose it. Um, but it's a way to make your dollar go a little bit further as you uh, pay for childcare.
1: Of course, there's healthcare flexible spending as well, and your healthcare bills will likely go up. And the other thing is that in many of these types of programs, that so your employer you, you can only sign up at one time during the year mm-hmm. during the enrollment period. However, in most situations, if there's a major life event that allows you to redo that and having a kid usually qualifies. so you can change how much you contribute to
0: these plans. Right. All right, what about disability insurance?
3: A child is a good opportunity to make sure that you're covered if you were to become disabled. Um, because maybe on one income, if, if you have a well, yeah, suppose you have a spouse or a significant other with you, hopefully, um, you might be able to cover all your needs on, on one income during that period. Uh, but if you're taking care of a baby, your expenses are going up. So you want to make sure you know how much you'll have covered if something were to happen to you uh, to make sure that's enough buffer for you to, to meet all your other expenses, whether it be childcare, food costs, clothing, et cetera, that will come your way.
1: Yeah, disability is a tough one. I mean, first of all, most people get some through their employer. Right. Generally, if you work for a larger employer. So that's good, although it doesn't last forever, generally speaking. Um, buying it on your own it's really tough because it's really expensive because the odds are actually that at some point in your life, the odds are much higher that before age 65 you'll become disabled, then you'll die, which is why life insurance is relatively cheap. Disability insurance is not.
3: Right. So in my history, anytime I've seen someone shopping for it individually, they've decided, eh, maybe I'll, I'll take the risk. But it's actually you know, a risk that you want to make sure is covered. Uh, thankfully, most employers do cover it to some extent. Uh, just verify to what extent that is. And then an interesting wrinkle there is also it can be taxable or non-taxable depending on how it's paid for. Yeah. Um, so if you're paying out of pocket, usually your benefits are after tax, um, but if it's being paid for you by an employer and, and that, therefore not taxed, uh, it's taxed to you as income when you receive it.
1: Right. And anyone who's working has some disability insurance through the Social Security system. The thing is, it's pretty hard to qualify for that. It's much easier. If if you're more worried about a broader range of possible disabilities, it's better to have your own policy. Right.
0: All right, let's move on. Uh, Let's talk about, okay. now the baby's home. Now what?
3: (laughs) Yeah. For us, my wife stayed home for a long time after the baby was born. Uh, So one of the biggest things that we were worried about was having a big enough emergency reserve. Um, because the scope of unknowns becomes infinitely larger. Uh, we don't know what we need to buy to take care of the baby. You know, if something happened and I needed to stay home longer, you know how would we cover these expenses? So revisiting your emergency reserve, which hopefully you already have in place, is uh, step number one and, and you know maybe contributing more than you would just to build extra buffer in, in place of um, what you had before would be my, my first recommendation. The way that it can impact you on a daily basis from a tax perspective is uh, there are certain tax credits that come with having a baby, which could help you. And that can be a nice opportunity to re- revisit your withholdings and get more of your dollars flowing through to you throughout the year instead of you know living on less and then waiting for a refund at the end. Um, so there's a child tax credit, which is now $2,000 per child, which can help you out. Um, there are also some other things like a Child care tax credit, where you know if you're not using that flexible spending account, you might have an opportunity to get money back uh, in your taxes as well. Um, but you know, revisit your taxes, check your withholdings. Uh, I'd rather have my dollar today than tomorrow.
1: Right, and it's especially true too if one parent decides to stop working and stay at home. Then your tax situation has changed considerably, and another reason to revisit that.
3: Right, absolutely.
0: All right, let's move on to some mistakes that you've perhaps seen people make uh, in your career as a financial planner.
3: So, the, the biggest mistake I've seen time and time again, working mostly with people approaching retirement, is folks who've saved very aggressively for their children, in particular as it relates to college funding, but skipped out on their own retirement savings in place of that. Um, so, the most recent example I can think of is someone who had, I think it was four children, each with six figure. Savings accounts mm. that were in their name personally or in a 529 plan, and that person's retirement plan was less than some of the value of their kids' plans. Wow! Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were hoping for an early retirement, <laughs> but you know that's just not in the cards for them anymore uh, because they've lost all that compound growth that they could have had over the years by giving something to their children, which is you know noble and great and has set them up really well. But that just means that they'll be working extra long longer than they wanted to uh, as a result of that.
0: Well what are some ways that you can prevent that obviously paying yourself first to some extent, but uh, putting money in a 529 plan, keeping the money in your own name rather than putting it in your kids accounts are there different ways that you can kind of hedge a little bit and have flexibility in this savings?
3: Yeah, so I think first is you know making sure that you're maxing out your retirement plans. If you're doing that and then giving something to your children, you're probably on the right track already. Um, identifying what exactly your goal is for them. So if it's to cover college costs entirely, at least you might have a target for what that's like instead of just blindly throwing money into an account. Um, or maybe you don't want to cover everything and you can do it in a different way and contribute less. Um, the last thing I'll say is if if it really is, I want to make an impactful like legacy gift to them that would take care of them forever. Maybe you can look at something like life insurance on a permanent level, which could leverage your dollars more than just giving money into their name today. Um, so there are lots of different things you can do, but I think take care of yourself first is the, is the biggest tip, because once it's in their name, you lose control on all of that.
1: Yeah, it's definitely important to start saving for your own retirement first, and that doesn't mean you can't then help out with college later. So, first of all, money in IRAs can be used for higher education purposes. You might take taxes, but there are ways to avoid some of the penalties. Also, if you save for your retirement up until college, if you've done a good job of that, then while they're in college, you can back off from the retirement savings. Instead of that money going into the 401k, it goes to tuition, something like that. But it is, you have much more flexibility if you focus first on retirement then when you get to college, you have something there already saved up. 529s are are good. We have them. I think most of the people in this room have them for their kids. And I don't think it's a bad idea to open one up as soon as the kid is born and just put $100 every month just automatically to start building that up to have something there. But if you're not saving for retirement at all, then I would avoid doing that, at least as your first step.
0: All right. what's another mistake that you've seen people make?
3: So uh, the next mistake would be not planning ahead. Uh, some of the things I described earlier are very long and boring processes like getting your estate plans redone, applying for life insurance. Um, so life insurance can take, you know weeks to get approved for. Uh, estate plan took months to do. And if you wait till after the baby comes, I would probably just not want to deal with it because you have so much else going on.
0: There's so much crying. (laughs) A lot of crying. So much crying. (laughs) And that's just from the parents. (laughs) Oh, the laundry.
1: (laughs) But at least you get a lot of sleep. (laughs) Yeah.
3: (laughs) Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, what I've most often seen is folks who are like the parents of 10 or 15-year-olds saying, okay, we should probably do an estate plan. Mm-hmm. Well, they should have done it 15 years earlier, but the fact is you have so much going on that you don't want to deal with it or think about it, because if it's not taking care of a newborn, it's adjusting back to work life and then dealing with all these new expenses, that a four-figure attorney bill isn't the most welcome thing. Uh, so the, the more you can get ahead of that, the better it is.
1: And for people listening who don't have kids, but maybe they have relatives who do have kids or are about to have kids, and you're looking for a way to help them and help them financially, helping them identify a good financial planner or a good estate planning attorney and maybe even paying for it, mm-hmm. that would be a big step forward. Because when you think of a young family, they don't have time, they may not have money, and to, again, to be looking at a, a big bill for a financial planner or attorney just may not seem like the best way to spend money from their perspective. Right. But if you have the resources as a grandparent or a parent to these kids, It might be a big help to do that for
3: them. Actually, just a recommendation to someone would be a big help, because as a new parent, you probably haven't worked with a lawyer very often, hopefully. Uh, So, you know, just trying to find out where to start is a pain in the butt.
0: All right, and the last mistake you want to call out on today's show.
3: Yeah, don't overspend on your baby. What? They will outgrow everything real fast. You'll get one photo in the new dress, and then it's going to be gone forever. So, uh, you know, avoid that trap of thinking she's going to look cute in this, so I need to buy all of these things for her uh, because you'll want that money in your emergency reserve for all the other things that'll come down the pike.
0: And what are some things that you've got you guys have done to not overspend on your baby?:
3: I think we've done a pretty good job of spending very little on things for her because people like to give you things when you have a baby, which well, especially
0: is, here at the fool. they love to hand down clothes. Yeah.
3: yeah. We got a nice care package, too, from the Fool in the mail, which was nice. Um, but even family members will buy you things or give you hand-me-downs. So I think we've done a pretty good job of, of benefiting from the people around us who just want the things out of their house. We, we, we got a secondhand crib, changing table, all these different things. So as long as you're okay with that, I think that's a, a great way to go.
0: We had a lot of luck with going to consignment sales for kids' clothes and toys and furniture. Like we tried as little as possible to buy new things for Hannah and it was fine. Like it was it was great like Craigslist. We bought tons of kids stuff on Craigslist.
3: Yeah. Free cycle. Free cycle. That's active in your area. Yeah. I feel like there are a lot of Facebook community groups for new parents and everyone's happy to share. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um so that's probably a good
2: good place to look. Yeah. New stuff is for grandparents,
0: right? That's right. Like new, yeah, parent grandparents are that's their job. All right. How about some resources for people to go read more um, about being financially responsible with baby?
3: One good one, not necessarily to read more, but to help improve your finances as you promise, which is a program that helps give you money back towards mostly college expenses for every dollar that you spend. So they can link those up with five twenty nine plans, for example. and some of the vendors that you're already buying stuff will give you a certain percentage of cash back towards an objective like college financing or repaying student loans.
0: And that's the letter U and then the word promise. Correct. Not Y-O-U.
3: Have you had any experience with no, that? I've, pro-
1: no, I've used my U-Promise card.
3: Yeah, so that's good. I, I've actually seen the U-Promise cards out in the world more often, which is neat that people are thinking about that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, the other one, because you are starting to look at how much you're spending, is just a budget tracker like mint.com. Uh, so if you haven't used that before, it's I use it more retrospectively to see what I've done and see where my dollars are going, but just to make sure that your spending is in line with what you thought it would be, uh, which might influence what your emergency reserve should be as well. And then the last one would be a fee-based planner. So we've referenced earlier that it's good to work with a financial planner to see what your life insurance needs might be, what your budgets should be like. And it's sometimes hard to do that on your own either because you don't have the tools or patience or, you know, maybe it's hard to communicate with your spouse about those things. So having a professional third party there um, who can help kind of put that into perspective for you and look at today versus down the road towards retirement, I think is something that's very valuable to almost everyone.
0: Mostly in my mind, I've been—I I feel like we've been talking about um, babies that you make yourself. But are there any financial, specific financial concerns that you need to have if you're adopting a kid?
1: Uh, it's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> I can just tell you from personal experience. I can't remember that much. So our daughter now is 14. So I can't remember exactly how much, but I think it cost thirty thousand dollars. Wow! But you do get a tax credit—at least you did back then—that offsets some of it.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh. Um,
1: but it's certainly it's not like a, it's like a financial goal that you save up for. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. All right, Dan, you're going to stick around because speaking of overspending on baby, I'm going to see if you guys can uh, guess some prices for some of the most extravagant baby things out there. So you want to stick around for that? Yeah, I guess so. All right, thank you. And then also, I want to say to our listeners, our sister company Molly Fool Wealth Management is a registered investment advisor that can help but your financial plan and investing needs in the context of your big life transitions. If you've enjoyed learning from Dan or the other Motley Fool Wealth Management planners we've had on the show, guess what? You can get even more of them in your life. Visit radio At radio. You can find podcast notes and resources and even book a no-obligation appointment with Dan Maseka or another planner you've probably heard on the show. Please consider the risks and costs and suitability of investments before choosing any investment professional all investments involve risk and may lose money. Motley Fool Wealth Management does not guarantee the results of any of its vice or account management. Gotta love a good disclosure. Disclaimer, mm-hmm. disclosure. Last week we went shopping for a Giga Mansion, and today we're going shopping for Baby. So I wanna see how well you guys can guess some of the most extravagant things that you can buy for a little munchkin. All right. So, all right, close this without going over. Shall we do it that way? Okay. <clears throat> Rick, are you in? I'm in. Alright. Rick usually does pretty well with this. Let's start with Snuffles the teddy bear. His eyes are made of Tahitian black pearls, and his coat is made of white alpaca. Snuffles (laughs) also wears a 10-carat diamond necklace with a white gold chain. A -a one-of-a-kind teddy bear, he was the showstopper at the Goond booth at the International Toy Fair in New York back in 2010. While you can get a low-rent Snuffles on Amazon for around 20 bucks, this luxury Snuffles was priced at...
1: Oh man, I
3: don't know. Yeah, I don't even know what universe to start in. But I'll... Rick, do you have a, a kickoff number? 10,000. I'll say
1: 70,000, 7,500.
3: I'm going to go 14,999.
0: Rick nailed it one thousand dollars. Rick is good at this. See
1: googling over there. You
0: can't actually buy it though, because it was created to be auctioned for charity. Oh, priceless. Um, oh, so I have also to offer then my recommendation from my personal experience as a mother. So instead of getting a snuffles, I would recommend buying Hannah's favorite stuffed animal when she was little. and that was the medium sized jellycat bashful bunny, which is like twenty bucks. It's a great It's a great stuffed animal.
2: Much cheaper than ten thousand dollars. Much cheaper. I'll also throw in the IKEA bin of stuffed animals. (laughs) Always very popular. Kids loved it. Loved
0: it. All right, travel in style with the Balmoral pram by Silver Cross, described as the definitive luxury pram. It is the most British-looking thing in the world. Here's its description: Exuding British engineering at its best, the iconic design is the embodiment of quality and craftsmanship. From the polished chrome chassis to the hand stitched fabrics and the hallmark hand painted fine line detail. You guys know what a pram is what a pram is, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Who wants to go first? <laughs> uh
1: well, I'm gonna go with five thousand. I didn't hear any
2: any diamond Any gold or diamond, to yeah. I'm gonna go with eight. Okay. Eight thousand and one.
0: It's actually two thousand seven hundred, so that's that's actually that's pretty nice. But wait, there's more. Because your kid will outgrow the pram immediately, you can buy them their own pram for their dolls at the low low cost of five hundred dollars. Oh
3: my goodness, that's a
0: steal! That's a steal. Personally, I would recommend. For a stroller, the City Mini GT, um, because we walk everywhere every day, we logged probably close to four thousand miles over the course of five years on that Impressive. stroller. and that yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we walk s- several miles a day, so that's a good seat. C- the City Mini GT. I think that's stroller. what we have actually. It's a good stroller. It's a great stroller.
2: All right, <laughs> for the little for the newborns, don't even bother with the stroller. Just get the little strap things or the backpacks. I couldn't figure that out. I struggled. (laughs) All I can say is that they're a lot easier to get in and out of places and stuff. It's just too hard to have a stroller everywhere.
0: Yeah, we had a Moby wrap too. So when she was really, really little, I just strapped her to me like a little kangaroo.
2: And pretty much you know that your kid's just going to live in the car seat for pretty much the first three years of their life anyway. All you need is the car seat. You just carry it around. You put it down in the little stool in oh, the restaurant, and you pick it up.
0: There's nothing worse than carrying a car seat. No, you get the, the
2: one that you get the one that snaps into the stroller. That's yeah, the thing. yeah, yeah. Oh man, they, they just it. never leave. They're always strapped in. I
0: hated carrying a car seat around. Ugh. all right. <laughs> Have fun searching for this on the floor at two in the morning. It's the world's most expensive pacifier. It was originally gifted to Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie as an obvious PR stunt by the company Ulu Bulu. It is three, it's more than three carats of diamonds and 18 karat gold. And for this price, they'll even engrave it for you. All right. So there you go diamond encrusted 18 karat gold pacifier. How much would you pay?
1: <laughs> I would pay absolutely nothing. But <laughs> as for how much it's worth, I don't know. I'm so clueless about stuff like
2: that. $18,000. I'm going to go with twelve. Uh, I'll go with one dollar just for fun.
0: Uh, all right, bro got it for not going over, but as you were closest, it's seventeen
1: thousand.
2: Oh, impressive!
0: Our pacifier of choice was the Mam Glow in the Dark pacifiers because they glowed in the dark. You're gonna, if your kids end up using a pacifier, you're going to spend so much of your time looking for pacifiers on the ground. Uh, and anyway, that's the one we use. Only one of our kids
1: was really into pacifiers, and Lucas went through this period of where. It, when he, he needed it to be sleeping, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he was in a room with a hardwood floor, and we'd hear in the middle of the night that clank oh, God, of the past fire on the floor. Like... Exactly! I
0: feel like I'm... i just got to get up. <laughs> oh, my God! It's the same thing! <laughs> like, oh, oh, it my... just hurts. It just yeah. hurts. Baby's got to have somewhere to sleep, so let's head over to the shop Suomo, a luxury baby website for the children of Saudi princes and Kardashians. Um, We're gonna look at. We're gonna go shopping for La Perla, which is their crib, the Gold Edition, of course. It is described as, this is so, this is just some amazing copy here. The most exclusive dream in the world, plated with 18 karat gold. Close your eyes. There it is. Astonishing, magnificent, admirable, as only the finest works of art can be. The golden glow provided by the most magnificent 18-karat yellow-gold plated shines from every single angle. It is impossible to hide such beauty, for this jewel is made of the very material dreams are made of. It's so hard to describe visually, but it's it's gold. It's gold. Plated. I think you got that. And it's got these exaggerated, like bulbous parts. And there's something very Alice in Wonderland about it. Like like if Tweedledum and Tweedledee were trust fund babies. So if you can imagine that, there you go, there you can
2: see it. Wow. Hmm. Looks like an Egyptian sarcophagus.
0: Yeah, there's something... It's, it's
2: Something classical some, about
0: it. It's something. It's something. <laughs> Alright, but, so there you go. How much are you going to pay for it, though?
1: I'm going to go with 25000
0: it is made of the very stuff material the dreams are made oh, of. Oh, that's bro. right.
3: Twenty five thousand and one dollar. One hundred and twenty five thousand. Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go uh, fifty.
0: Sixty thousand euros. Mm. I'm gonna go with you. I don't I'll, know what the I'll euro, to U.S. dollar is right now, but <laughs> you, meaning Dan, Dan. Yeah, I'm gonna one. go with Dan. Uh, you can also get a matching dresser for sixty eight thousand euro. Huh, so, so there you go. Nice. Uh, meanwhile, at the Southwick home, we went with the eighty dollar IKEA Sniglar, which is just a great—it's a great crib, and eighty dollars. <laughs> oh, it took you a week to put it together. Oh, I love putting IKEA furniture together. Oh, oh yeah, if I, like if I could retire and my job would be just like helping put IKEA furniture together, I would totally do that as you could, a job. You can do that. I would love to because just, like it's like job it's IKEA. like Legos for kids. Like doing IKEA is just Legos for adults. I mean, it's like Legos for adults. Alright, that's it. That's all I got. So, there you go. If you want to spend a lot of money on your baby, that's how you do it. A gold-bladed, I don't know, <laughs> baby everything. Baby sarcophagus. A gold-bladed <laughs> baby sarcophagus. Oh, Alright, Dan, thank you so much for joining us! You're
3: welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Ah, it's been our pleasure. Well, that's the show. It's edited, 18 karat gold platingly by Rick Engdahl. Our email is answers at fool dot com. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. We're at Answers Podcasts, and all three of us are on Twitter somewhere saying sell things. it, Allison, sell it. I don't know. You guys don't really do much on Twitter. I really don't. So I mean, follow people. I I post stuff.
2: Maybe I'm a once Twitter a week, stalker.
0: Whatever. It's a good way to get a hold of us. It is. If you do, if you do get a hold of us on Twitter, we are likely to pay attention. I
2: might do more on Twitter if people tweet it at me. There you go.
1: What's your what's your twitter twitterly name? What do they call it? What's your twaddle? <laughs> what do they call that thing? <laughs>
2: Never mind. Tweet it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right, whatever. Tweet us or don't. Uh, you can also join the Motley Fool podcast group on Facebook. Uh, just knock, and you'll be let in. And, I don't know, where else can they find us? I can email us at We're outside your house right now. <laughs> yes, answers at fool.com. Uh If you have any questions, we always have a mailbag episode right around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, for Robert Brokamp, I'm Alison Southwick. Stay Foolish, everybody!